0: hey guys i'm with will hightower this week uh will is a local uh arts advocate uh, kind of specifically focusing on theater and uh, stuff related to that i was really stoked to talk to him finally because he's somebody i kind of knew peripherally for a while like I' met once or twice i uh, know through other people it's talking about like kind of general projects um but you know i i get to see kind of the stuff he's involved in and he seems to share a lot of the same ideas i have about Arts advocacy and you know local theater and stuff like that. Uh, so I was really excited to finally get a chance to sit down and talk with him about it because he can share a lot of the things that I always want to talk about, um, but he's a lot more articulate and active about it. Um, so I uh, I hope you uh, enjoy what he has to say. I certainly did. let uh, so check out Will Hightower. I would never be here if I could Don't you know I'm definitely there to make your brain feel good I can't stand the rain Don't stay out in the sun till I'm insane So welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix, it's Tony Machete. I'm with Will Hightower today. How are you doing today, Will? Doing alright. <laughs> Excellent. yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I really like this place, by the way. I've never been here before. It's mean, super. Sick. This is like your go-to downtown, huh?
1: Yeah, this is. It's open twenty-four-seven. Uh, Urban Beans, twenty-four-seven cafe. It's vegan, and it's uh, they're a supporter of the of the arts. So I always try to support them back.
0: See, now that's something I did. I'm glad you brought that up right away. So uh, you're very much becoming. I mean, from when I first met you, we were kind of introduced and described to me as mostly a performer, but it seems like very much you're leaning more towards arts advocacy now as kind of a main descriptor of yourself as a main title. So what made you want to make that transition?
1: Yeah, part of that problem, uh, you know, going from performer to arts advocate is that there are tons of people who want to be performers, especially there's just throngs of average-looking white guys in this town. <laughs> so we really don't need another one of me. Um, and But there's not a whole lot of people who are willing to do the arts advocacy. So I'm just I'm doing that work. And I might do maybe one show a year to try to stay relevant, and then I still teach, um, but really just focusing on the... Uh, long-term strategy of the arts industry instead of
0: how can I pay the bills using my art.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so right off the bat, I mean, as an advocate for the arts, knowing that you're kind of stepping away from it because the market is so flooded, how do you know what to promote? I mean, it's like, how do you kind of take it, put it upon yourself to be like, I, I need to step behind these guys. I need to focus on this.
1: Yeah, um, sort of like when you're doing comedy i did stand-up comedy for a while too when you're doing comedy it's like well how do i know what jokes are funny and it's like well do the jokes that you like and you'll find an audience so i get behind the theater that i like and my favorite theater for the past uh seven years has been stray cat theater so
0: which you've taken a board position now
1: right so (laughs) i'm on i'm on the board and i'm board president um for stray cat theater which is very exciting and keeps me awake at night um (laughs) because now the the stakes are much higher um because I'm sort of steering the ship in a way that I, I fail a lot, like in, in the nicest way. I try a lot of things and I fail a lot and when you're the board president you have to be a little more risk adverse and so I'm kind of worried about that but uh, I'm just gonna to continue to fail in my own arts <laughs> advocacy and try not to put that risk on straight Cat.
0: Just try to direct and consolidate all your failures to your personal life if possible. Right. <laughs> So, well, how do you reconcile that? How do you marry that idea of, I mean, in the arts, it seems like so much of what we do is about taking risks, especially with Stray Cat does. I mean, they're kind of known for pushing the boundaries and doing some really interesting powerful things. So how do you kind of reconcile, you know, still taking those risks to, like, not just doing Thoroughly Modern Millie every season and uh, and still making sure you bring in a profit?
1: Yeah, um, so the artistic side of Stray Cat Theaters um, you know, entirely this, it's all staff of, you know, Ron May and Lewis Farber and the, sure. and, and Michael Peck and, um, and all those people all are together and they run all of that and they do all the creative stuff for it. Sure. The board is just more involved in the, um, the fundraising and the strategic planning of, you know, how are we going to work together to accomplish these goals and sort of fill in the gaps, um because there's not a, a full-time staff of people working on things. So I don't have to worry about the artistic part. And that's what I like is that they take all the artistic risks that they want. What I want to do as the board is make it more possible to take more artistic risks without having to worry about financial
0: insolvency, I guess. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Got you. So, I mean, does that ever, I don't know, does that ever feel like you're kind of limiting yourself, knowing that, like, there is all these kind of wonderful creative decisions being a creative person yourself like kind of happening right outside of your boundary
1: um i get involved if i can i also do just like experiments as occasionally sometimes i do some like improv experiments or whatever random thing or a little bit of producing so i can still get my creativity out in that way but there are people who will do the creative work there's not a lot of people that'll do the logistics work so again i can still be a part of that from behind a computer screen i can you know, as they say in the newest Spider-Man movie, like, I'm the guy in the chair. Um, so you have to watch the movie, Spider-Man Homecoming, I guess, to know what that means. But I'm the guy in the chair. I'm not Spider-Man. All
0: right, you heard it here first, guys. Check out Spider-Man Homecoming opening this weekend. Uh, but, okay, so so it seems like you're making these very kind of conscious decisions to, like, step away from what you know, like, you could do but you don't have to do to take on those roles that are necessary. So why do you feel like... Again, I, I guess I'm kind of restating what I said before, but why do you feel like you're the one who needs to do that?
1: Um, uh, I guess I, there's really not a reason why I have to do it specifically, but I've noticed that um, I'm not like a like genetically, I guess, like a leader for whatever reason, but in a, in a vacuum of leadership, I suddenly will rise to the occasion. So I'm sitting in the Phoenix community, the arts community, going like, well, why aren't people doing this? Or why is no one fighting for this? And why is this not happening? And people are like, OK, well, you do that. Like, all right. Well, I guess I will. No one else is going to. So it sort of came like that is like, why is there not more artists as stakeholders in the community? Artists treated uh, like valuable people instead of these like starving artists, peasants um, that are fed table scraps, you know, so uh, so why don't. Who's fighting for that? And right now, that's just me. So,
0: love it. Okay, so that I guess leads me to something else that I, I saw that you did was the Artist ID program. Um, so that seems like a very interesting idea, and I'm not even entirely sure like all the facets of it that, that go into it. So, tell me a little bit about kind of the genesis of that and what you were trying to do with it.
1: Yeah. So originally, this is a, a one branch of what Theater Think Tank does. So Theater Think Tank is this artist advocacy organization that, uh, that I founded and it lets me do what I want to do. Um, which when it first started was monthly meetings, like a meetup.com sort of thing for artists and to sort of talk about whatever, because part of the people, what people were complaining about was none of these artists talk to each other. And then these artists, you know, they're all doing Annie junior this year. <laughs> no, why is that happening? And so I'm like, okay, well, I'll get all the artists together. Um, well that's like herding cats, that's And so getting people together, that didn't work. So we pivoted to an online platform, and then we would pivoted again to this idea of creating value through negotiation for artists. So artists are, you know, they're members of the community, um, and they deserve to be treated like stakeholders, like I said before. So we get them this artist ID program. This artist ID program is about uh, you are... A special member of the community and deserve special treatment just like we give special treatment to students just like we give special treatment to seniors to military to um people with an aarp card or a triple a card like we give special treatment to members of a certain organization um there are communities that should be valuing our artists in the same way so uh through negotiation i'll negotiate with a coffee shop to offer a discount with people who show their artist id or i'll negotiate with um Uh, an auto mechanics shop to offer like a discounted oil change and so they're offering a discount that they're offering to the same population a different population of like um you know to their oh if you got the weekly mailer like it's not a new discount i'm not asking them to create a new thing in their system i'm just saying give us a code give us give us the coupon um because we're a membership of this organization and we're an artist we're making you know, we could all be business majors and be making 60000 a year, be engineers right out of school, but we chose art. So we're making $27,000 a year, and we need the discount. You know, our work is valuable. It just doesn't yield a financial gain. So try to negotiate some trade out of that.
0: I love that. And this is, I guess, kind of a big question for eight minutes into the podcast, but you know, bring it up already. And it's something that I think, just by the nature of this po- podcast, it being like, interviewing different artists about coming up in the ranks and, and finding a career here in Phoenix. Just the idea of putting that value on yourself as an artist. I've seen artists are the ones who seem to fight that the most. Like the, the artists themselves seem so sometimes reluctant to call themselves an artist because it's such a loaded word or something or whatever it might be. And they it seems like very reluctant to uh, take that step of saying like, Oh, you know what? This is my ID that shows that I, what I do have value. I mean, there's, I'm sure you've seen a lot of different venues in town and a lot of different disciplines that like don't pay their actors or ask ask performers or artists or whatever to pay to be a part of it for the privilege of being a part of it. And so that seems so crazy to to me that like people are still willing to do that like because people have to know their value and stuff. So how do you you load that value into an artist? I guess that's the longest setup I've ever had to a question. I'm sorry, I'm just rambling. But I'm like, how do you like kind of, Take this opportunity that you have these artist IDs to show an artist that they do have value.
1: So this is a small part of a greater movement that we are, you know, you're gonna hear this phrase a lot where we're treating artists as stakeholder. We're treating artists as a, a stockholding member of the community. So the fact that there are certain places that don't value art is saying like they don't value the people who are investing in them so we need to invest in our artists and we get that investment back in the form of art which people for some reason don't want to pay for um and so we want to change this idea of that you're not a starving artist like no hit on your podcast name (laughs) but you're not a starving artist like that's like an insult to be a starving artist you are an artistic member of the community and deserve to be treated and and put on a pedestal in a way because you're sacrificing your life for art in a way that other people sacrifice their lives for money or for pride or greed or other things. Uh, and we're doing it for art, which is not about us, really. I mean, it shouldn't be. It should be about the storytelling or about the, the artistic expression in some way. But um, So we had to change that mindset of I'm a lowly peasant artist to uh, no, I'm an artistic professional in the community and I might not wear a tie, but you know, I'm going to take these ripped jeans and i'm gonna wear them well or whatever it is so
0: so at what point does one become the other at what point does someone who is an art enthusiast who's practicing art um, become an artistic professional community
1: yeah um so there's a picasso quote that i'm gonna butcher and it's and it's (laughs) that uh every child is an artist the trouble is staying an artist as we get older And so because I teach youth and teens and I've been doing that for about seven years or so, um, I have to come to the table with that mentality that every child is an artist and that we want to treat creativity like we treat other skills, like we treat math skills and and literacy and and computer technology skills. We need to treat creativity in the same way because you have someone who can read and write, uh, but they're not creative. What are they going to read and write about? So, um, I think that if you call yourself an artist, then you're an artist. And that's the way um, that Theater Think Tank validates the artist IDs. So when you go through and you sign up for the program to get your artist ID, which you can get for free, there's two memberships now this year. There's a free membership, which is an artist, and then there's a paid membership, which is a producing artist.
0: It's only like 10 bucks. Right?
1: Yeah, it's $15 okay. a year. Um, and if you buy one discounted ticket, because you get a $15 ticket at participating theaters, you buy one ticket... That's normally a $40 ticket. You made your money back for the year with one ticket, one evening. Um, so when you fill out the form to become an artist of Theater Think Tank, you uh, you fill out a little form of like, well, how are you an artist? What's your medium? You know, Are you a graphic artist? That's an artist. Are you an electronic artist and you create video games? That's artistry. Um, are you a volunteer? Maybe you're the best usher in the metro area. Like, that's an artist to me. Um, or someone who's involved in the arts as a, as a volunteer, as a board member, something, then you deserve to be treated as such. Because you're, again, still sacrificing your evenings where you could be, you know, playing Call of Duty or whatever. Uh, instead, you're at the theater handing out programs.
0: That's I do think that is kind of like... The, this is the that thing but like just like the unsung heroes of the arts community are those people like those ushers who you know you see them they've obviously been there for like 10 years like that every single show every single night going into that i do think that they need their yeah they need their support so i think that's awesome that you that you put that into it um so beyond the theater theme tank i mean you've uh you've kind of delved into it looks like some other kind of opportunities some other kind of organizations that you've talked with so i mean Tell me a little bit more about kind of how you branched off into uh, things beyond into just nonprofit work in general.
1: Uh, so, I went to an event, um, and my goal to go for going to the event was um, to just learn about leadership uh, opportunities, like Valley Leadership or um, or Be a Leader Foundation and these other leader training uh, organizations. And so I went to this uh, young nonprofit professionals network of Phoenix meeting uh, to try to kind of network and meet some people because theater artists and theaters theaters are nonprofits, but no one thinks of a theater as a charity because we're not feeding the hungry and curing the sick. So, but we are still nonprofits, and we do still apply for grants, and we still need that mentality. So, I'm trying to bring a bunch of artists into the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network, which I'm also on the board for because I apparently hate free time. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to bring artists into that community so we think strategically the way nonprofits think because theaters think, well, what's this season? What's this season? Okay, now this season. And then one season at a time. Nonprofits think, what's our three-year plan, our five-year plan, our 10-year plan? How many? We're not going to cure cancer in a season. We're going to try to do it over several years in 10 years or so or maybe diminish uh, polio or something, which has been done, but um, because I mean, thanks to nonprofits, yeah, thanks to nonprofits, <laughs> they fix things, you know. Um, so was that March of March of Dimes? I guess they're yeah. successful, but um, and they've moved on to other things. They've pivoted to other things, so uh, low birth weight or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know something like that. Um, so trying to network and empower people to say that you're an artist, and the way that we sort of I don't want to say pity, but there's really no other word for it. The way we pity like public school teachers, where you go, "Oh, you're a public school teacher. You're so selfless. You're so brave. You're so all those things." You know, artists need a little bit of that. So you work for a nonprofit. You work for um, a nonprofit that uh, feeds the hungry and cures the sick. You're sort of viewed as like a nonprofit hero. But if you're a marketing professional for a theater, you're just like any other you know corporate suit out there viewed. Wives, you know, but we are still making that sacrifice. The amount of money that, again, to go back to this, the amount of money that um, people can make in the nonprofit sector versus the money they can make in the profit sector is it's almost double. And I watch myself and my wife go these different ways, where I continue to go arts, education, and nonprofits, and then she continues to go profit, profit, profit company, and she's making twice as much money as I do, and. And she's going to have a much better career trajectory where I will probably be in the same position forever because where am I going to get this? Where do these nonprofit CEOs come from? From the corporate sector, you know, they get their money and their their training all from the corporate sector and then they come to the nonprofit sector and they're heroes now. They slum it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They slum it in the nonprofit sector taking 2 million a year instead, (laughs) you know, and there's an interesting um, TED talk on that uh, or video called the way we think about nonprofits is dead wrong. Uh, so you can Google that if you're at your computer. Don't Google it if you're driving. Um, and so that sort of talks about the way that we uh, we as Americans will gladly pay the producer of violent video games $30 million a year and put them on the cover of a magazine. But um, if you take any money, $2 million from uh, a, cha- a cancer charity, that you're a villain. Even though the difference thirty million, two million, $30 $2 same
0: job. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, I mean, you brought something up, like, just with kind of the given that a theater or an artistic institution like that is going to be a nonprofit. They don't have to be, though. I mean, there are for-profit theaters out there. Like I'm assuming there's for-profit galleries and stuff out there. So why, why would somebody go that direction? Do you know? I mean, why, why one and not the other?
1: Yeah, it depends what you're trying to do. Um, so, you know, the basic breakdown is if you Google, like, should I be a non-profit or should I be a for-profit? It's going to ask you one question. And that's really, why are you doing what you're doing? And if the answer is for the good of the people, you should be a nonprofit. And if the answer is for money, then you should be a for-profit entity. And so you think of the same thing for why you want to do theater. Why am I doing this storytelling? Why am I going to spend so much of my life putting together a show uh, is for, for the money? Then yeah, be a for-profit company, sure. But if it's for the good of the people, it's for the good of the community, for storytelling as an art form then be
0: a nonprofit. so you literally have to ask yourself am i doing this for profit or not for profit right. <laughs> and there's your answer absolutely okay it's just interesting i, I, I like that I, I'm not idea. okay um so for this, i, I want to kind of jump back a little bit because i'm getting ahead of myself too um so before you've thrown all these things together before you've uh kind of delved into these projects so far and, and getting into ymp and all that stuff you were like a performer i don't want to say just a performer but you were like You know, uh, kind of work and show, uh, doing stand up, doing improv. So, what got you into the arts?
1: What got me into the arts? Um, Well, I could go back to. I'm a junior in high school, and I am going to go to. I've already applied for college. I'm gonna. I got a full ride scholarship to ASU for computer science, and I'm going to be a computer scientist. I'm going to make video games. That's what I want to (laughs) do. computer class I signed up for my junior year uh, gets cancelled, I get my elective, which is theater. So I'm sort of introduced into theater. And then at the same time, I didn't know this because I was like 16, 17, but I was also struggling with very severe depression. And so through acting and, and creating art in that way, it taught me how to be human even through depression. It taught me how to put on a smile and fake it through uh, a day in a way that allows me to be a successful human being that depression wouldn't normally allow you to be. Acting taught me how to act human, and so I got addicted to being human. I got addicted to what other people would call normal, <laughs> and so then I uh, gave up the full ride scholarship to ASU for computer science, and I went to a community college for theater, and then got my associate's degree, and then transferred and. Uh, yeah just did the theater route just like that
0: now do you feel like I mean just the way that you put that I'm curious because I mean it does seem to be a pretty common thing in, in the arts to you know, have people who have those kind of issues to, to find their, their solace somehow in doing the arts do you feel like at any point that's not a healthy way of looking at it do you feel like the ability to act human rather than um, I don't know I guess find some other kind of means to, to rectify it is the best way of going about it I know that things kind of close to you, so I'm curious.
1: Yeah, uh, I would say the short answer is no, um, that acting is therapeutic, but it's no replacement for therapy. And they say that about all art forms. Um, I hear it most often with improv, that improv is therapeutic, but it's not any substitute for therapy. So I've been reading a lot of self-help books on depression. I take multivitamins, and I take medication. I have a psychiatrist and a, and a therapist, and I go to these meetings all the time, these doctor's appointments. Um which is why I work for the state because they have very good benefits um, and they can afford me the luxury of health care. Um, and so, no, you can't just have depression and then act on in the evenings and on the weekends and be okay. Um, it can be an outlet, but you'll never fix the underlying problem. Your symptom is sadness. Your disease is depression. So you need to fix the disease.
0: Isn't that like a Rocky Horror quote or something like that too? Like,
1: Probably.
0: <laughs> I don't even remember what it was right now. But anyways, um, okay, so talking about improv too as um, not only just like a, a means to uh, give yourself some therapy, give yourself some expression, but um, you have created a seminar based off of like tenets of improv to like actually have like leadership skills and stuff like that. So how did you discover that connection on your own and how did you kind of put that into a professional presentation?
1: Yeah, uh, like most things, uh, for me, it's just sort of an accident, and I fell into it. So I was, um, I I I used to do a lot of Craigslist-like jobs, and so I would get laid off a lot, like unexpectedly, because when you find a job on Craigslist, it's like, wow, this is a great job. Like, how is this even a job? I just sit at a desk all day, and then it's like, wait, why are the doors locked? Um, And then you get fired. So I was trying to get a job, and I had my own website for a while, which was a webcomic, and so I used that as part of my branding. Um, and so I wrote a blog. So when I directed people from my resume to my website, it wasn't like a dick joke or something. It was like a blog that looked professional. And, um, and so the, there was one job application that was like, we're looking for people who can write blogs about thought leadership. And so I was like, what is thought leadership? I looked up that. That just means that you're a leader in thought. It's just a fancy word for you think first. I don't know. And so I wrote this blog about the idea of, of plussing, which is a brainstorming technique that, like, corporations use, uh, which is an improv skill. It's just saying yes and. And then I said, these are other ways that improv skills inform your boardroom presence. And then uh, so and I did that, and then, like, years went by, and it never really helped me get a job, but um, not in marketing anyway. And then uh, my wife's a member of an organization, and uh, like a society of marketing professionals, and they needed, they wanted an end of the year improv show. But, like we were talking about earlier, they didn't wanna pay anybody. Um, And so we were like, well, you know what? We could do something better. We'll give you instructional improv, applied improv, they call it. So um, we took my blog and we just turned it into a one hour seminar. So interactive seminar where we, do name games, and we do yes-and exercises, and then we talk about how uh, how to use that in the boardroom of, of of plusing, and and how to how active listening will improve all of your relationships, and how you should come to your supervisor with answers, not questions, just like in an improv scene. You should come with what are like gifts, um, and that saying yes-and is about validating saying. Oh, I need six months off of work. I'm sorry, I can't. I need six months. Please give me six months. And then they don't have to say yes and take another six months because you're fired. Um, they just say yes. I understand you feel overworked, and here's a solution that I can do. We're going to hire someone else, you know. And so they come to these realizations by being open to it in a way that only improv can let you do.
0: So, did you do like formal improv classes yourself, or did you just kind of jump in with the troupe and start playing around? It?
1: Uh, pretty much that. I just kind of got into, uh, and again, and just sort of fall into things. Um, I got in with a, a troupe, and we started doing. There was a troupe was called Inappropriate, um, and we were inappropriate
0: improv. That's such an improv team oh, name. Too. I know,
1: right? Isn't it such an improv team name? So we were so inappropriate. But then I was too inappropriate, and I got kicked out of that improv troupe. Uh, I was like, "What's the line here?" Um, so. <laughs> Uh, but then I started to do long-form improv when I was at ASU as part of this improv jam. And there was flyers that were like, just come do improv and just jam and just kind of do stuff. No audience, just kind of workshop format. And I did that for about two years of that jam. And I learned so much from professors who would join and grad students who were in it. And uh, and then I would read the books, like the Upright Citizens Brigade improv uh, comedy manual, and um, available on Amazon or your local bookstore. And... Um, <laughs>
0: They need the plug. They yeah, they need the plug. They really do.
1: Um, and so sort of self-taught through that, but also, I mean, I've been sort of the same way with acting. I've been teaching acting and improv long before I was qualified to teach acting and improv, which in a way is acting and improvising like a teacher. So I really have just learned from doing in, in a way that... Um, I hope doesn't come back to bite me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's something that is I was actually talking about with, like, the very last podcast that I did with Sydney Jackson is that um, the idea that you don't necessarily have to be a good uh, performer or dancer or whatever it was to be a good teacher of that subject. Like, it's, I guess, goes with the old adage of, like, those who can't do teach, but, like, the other side of it, of um, just the idea that you, you can have the skills of teaching and you can understand the theory of it without necessarily, like, being qualified to do it yourself. If that's the way you want to put it. So that's interesting. So, I mean, was that... Something you just felt confident doing right away? Or just like, I get this. I can pass it on. Right. How did you feel like you were able to just kind of step up and be a teacher?
1: Um, I would never say that I'm really confident in anything I do. <laughs> uh, I'm sort of like anxiety uh, in sneakers. <laughs> and uh, I definitely taught my first class when I was 19. And I had no idea what I was doing. But the teacher for the class, because I worked at an acting school, the teacher didn't show up, and so I, as the assistant director, had to step in. And so suddenly, I'm teaching a class on commercial acting, um, and I'd never myself booked a commercial, <laughs> but but I do understand. You know, at that point, I had um, my associate's degree at least, so I was a little qualified, um, but. You know, it's really this. Ira Glass has this. I know I keep quoting other people, but Ira Glass has this quote. It's called "Advice for Beginners," and he talks about how it's your taste that got you into this business in the first place. And just because your own skill isn't up to your level of taste, doesn't mean you're not good. And so, as a teacher, it just means you have much better taste than you have skill a lot of times. Uh, and and I think that's probably where I sit. Is like there there are actors in this town who are amazing. Kathy Dresbach is one of them. If you've ever seen her perform, she's just. So the choices she makes just blow my mind, and um, I'll never be that, and I understand that. But the fact that I could recognize that she's that good tells me that my taste is somewhere up there.
0: Nice. Okay, I like that. So uh, so you've been kind of teaching off and on since then, it seems like, and I noticed that you do have a position as a, a coach, at least through, through Verve, um, that specifically is for youth uh, acting classes. So uh, when did you start making the transition to, like, youth instruction?
1: Yeah, when I was in college, I had like a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, and my plan C was teaching youth. So uh, when I was at ASU, I was majored in theater and I minored in film because I hate money, and I was just gonna be poor forever. But then my backup plan, my money maker, if I ever needed money and in insurance, was teaching children, which, of course, is very lucrative. Um, and so I took all of the theater education classes that I could. And so I was in the same classes as teachers and in the same classes as uh, grad students who were doing a Theater for Youth master's course. And I got to learn about uh, course curriculum and learning objectives and things like that in the way that the other theater people in my program were not learning about. So it was sort of a minor, minor in education, in theater education that uh, I was sort of covering my bases with plan A, plan B and plan C of Which was already, doing acting in the first place is already a plan B. So I don't know where I'm at in the alphabet. But um, yeah, so it's just something that I I always came to as a a backup. And I think that eventually, if you're not careful, you will become your high school theater teacher. And I definitely think that, because I taught high school for a little while too, I definitely became my high school theater teacher.
0: <laughs> how do you mean, how do you mean that? Go ahead, yeah. elaborate.
1: Um, just, I developed a lot of his his name's Jack White. He's still in Phoenix. You know, he's a he's a director and an actor here in town. And he uh, I just developed some of his mannerisms, and I say I don't know cool beans and do this like snapping things with my hand, like you know that like just feels like tropes of a high school theater teacher. I do those things. I. Uh...
0: I get exactly where you're coming from. I I never connected the like the hand gestures and stuff to a high school theater teacher, but I actually like I I teach a class in the Mesa Arts Center, and ever since I started teaching the youth class, I've done that. I've like I get their attention. I'm snapping my hands and clapping. All right, let's do it. Rubbing my hands together. I've never rubbed my hands together in 26 years until I started doing that. Very interesting. Now it's brought to my attention. Okay, cool. So, what's the difference, I guess, for you between teaching a peer and teaching a youth?
1: Um, for me, teaching, teaching the youth is, is very much about teaching. Like, let me tell you the introductory basics. Let me tell you about how this is going to happen. And, um, and we sort of ex- explore in a more, more guided way. Whereas, uh, coaching a peer or uh, private coaching or anything like that is more about like, okay, uh, go for it. And then we're going to just explore in a less guided way. And then we're going to talk about, like, how did that feel? How did this feel? And because I'm going to try to find what's honest for you as an individual, as a peer. I'm going to try to find what's honest for you, but also reads honest for the audience. But for youth, I'm like, can you just say the words? <laughs> say the words and look in my direction when you're doing it. Or, you know, don't don't look into the camera. Stop looking into the camera. Stop looking into the camera. Um, so with that, it's more of technique. But with... Coaching a peer, it's more about just exploration.
0: Interesting. Okay. I mean, do you feel like you have a preference at any point, or is it just different sides of the same coin?
1: Yeah, it's different different sides of the same coin. I, I, I There's something great about seeing the light bulb turn on in a child's eyes for the first time when they finally get it, um, or they just, like, knock this commercial out of the park, like, very, very kick cereal, like, uh, whatever. But, like, when you see them mean what they say in an acting way, and that's not just reciting the words, like it's it's pretty rewarding, but then also coaching someone to a new level um, is also very rewarding. And the way that we're exploring, like, oh, I never really thought about it this way. I never really looked at it from that perspective. And seeing, uh, just reminding us that we will find more things in the positive, and then find more things because we were positive, and then this positive feedback loop um, is is different? Is another type of rewarding, you know? It's setting up a foundation versus uh, jumping off that foundation and just you know freefall and seeing what's going on. Yeah, nice, I like that.
0: Now, um, since you've been teaching and stuff, you've you've had looks like teaching artist positions in a couple different theaters around town, and it seems like. They're almost kind of simultaneous um, in some cases. You yeah, know, you've been working at a couple different theaters by your your wide-eyed expression. I, I can say, yeah, that's accurate. Um, beyond just, like, the, the time constraint on you, I mean, do you feel like you're ever, like, put in a competitive situation? Like, I I feel like in the arts, we have just an interesting situation as, like, uh, talent, basically, when, when you're the talent being passed around. Like, you're going to all these different basically competing companies. So do you are you ever aware of that in your positions, like uh, being on the, the side of it, the producing side of it?
1: Um, I don't think that there is competition for art in this town because there's not enough demand for it. So I don't think that art or arts education is ever in competition for anything other than maybe like grants um, because there's just a limited number of dollars that can go around. But um, I'll teach... For you know, I've been teaching for Valley Youth Theater for seven years, and been teaching for Verve for a couple of years, and I've taught for Arizona School for the Arts, and I've taught for Child's Play, and I've taught for Arizona Jewish Theater, and I just teach at all these places because you have to, you have to do everything in order to make rent in this town. Um, uh, and so there's no one's ever approached me with like a non-compete. The only industry that's gotten close to that has been the film industry. So I'd say the film industry is very competitive um, in this town. And the film training industry uh, is also sort of shady. And the star maker school sort of thing. Like, well, bring all your kids from, from Value Theater to my studio. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. That's, like, specifically <laughs> unethical. Um, and I'm not going to do that. And so that's the only time where I felt there was competition was with, like, who can make the most,
0: you know, Disney stars. Who's going to have the next Emma Stone? Who's going to
1: have the next Emma Stone? I already have... I, okay, because I'm a value theater and I right. have Amazon. Kind of but I already had a, a student of mine who is on the, now on the Disney Channel, and I'm like, I don't need oh. another one of those. <laughs> uh, I don't want no more. Just all go into accountancy yeah. after this. Like, just go, <laughs> just be something else other than an artist, because I don't, you know, it's 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 tough work, you know, and I, and seeing people, just like when the reward that you get when people have that light turn on in their eyes, you can see that stamped out in someone's eyes, too. Um, And so, find other ways. Like, in order to be an Emma Stone, planets have to align. Um, And that's a statistical improbability for you, for me, for these people. And realizing that they're not the protagonist in their own story, that they're not these, these Emma Stones, then that hurts for them. And I want to protect my my kids, but I want them to do art, but I want them to be realistic about it. And that's the thing that Verve teaches. Verve is not a star maker school. Like they have, you know, successful uh, people, but they're, Verve teaches you to be an actor business professional. Teaches you the business of the business in a way that these star maker schools only teach you how to do commercial scripts and teach you how to do
0: Disney sitcoms. So So more utilitarian kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. It gets you, you know, helps you learn the difference between a good headshot and a bad headshot and what you should be paying for headshots. Um, because people will think that like, oh, well, I paid uh, $2,000 for headshots and then I paid $4,000 to get them printed from a place in LA. Like, cool, you dropped $6,000 on something that should cost you $300 total, um, maybe. And, but they just don't they just don't know that. So it's, also it's a resource, verb is a resource in the community for people to be like, have you heard of this school? Have you heard of this agency? You know, the We Take Your Money agency? Um, and so I just, I wouldn't work... I did a lot of shady things in the past to make money, you know, uh, but I I would work for Verve forever because they're just so ethical and upstanding. So
0: That's excellent. Yeah. But, I mean, at a certain point, you you kind of do see, like, that the frustration and stuff in, like, an actor, probably especially a young actor who's kind of just hitting those walls as to, like, what they're capable of and what they're going to do. So how do you... How do you help them avoid that that frustration? How do you help them keep the light in their eyes and not like, have it dim like a lion at the zoo? Like...
1: Yeah. Um, I would think that they need to be investing in themselves. That just because they didn't get that show, they didn't get that big contract, they didn't get that commercial, that doesn't mean that there's not something else out for them. It might just mean that they have to create the opportunity for themselves. And this is what really took me from... Uh, from acting to producing, was one season, I did six shows, like six paying shows, professional shows. I went to Florida for two of those shows. I did six hard shows, and I was miserable. And I was like, this is not the answer. This is what the life is like, and this is not the answer. So there's got to be something else. And that something else for me was helping other people find their potential from within themselves. Um, And... That the frustration is going to be there, but to understand that failure is not the end. Failure is the beginning of something else. It's a pivot. You know, we, in start tech up, tech startups, we talk about this company did this and then failed, and then they pivoted and now they're this and now it's fantastic. Well, artists have to pivot all the time too. Um, we just think of it as juggling, like oh, I'm, a, I'm juggling teaching and I'm juggling acting and I'm juggling being a server. Um, but really, it's like we got to pivot what we. Do Differently, I'm a much better teacher than I am a performer. So pivot to doing that. Oh, I'm a pretty good consultant. So pivot to that, and you find what works from you. What works for you from from losing your balance, uh, which is not falling down. It's very different.
0: Interesting. So failure is just kind of like another step, basically.
1: Yeah.
0: In the whole journey, I like that. Now, one of those uh, theaters, I remember you mentioning it earlier, um, that you helped out was, there. was on a Jewish theater. So. <clears throat> Is there anything different in a situation where you were dealing with a specific subset or a specific culture um, dealing with the arts? Um,
1: well, Arizona Jewish Theater, unfortunately, is not around anymore. They I did their, their final show. That's, I'm also kind of a swan song here. So, like, if you do a show and you cast me, chances yeah. are, like, statistically, <laughs> it'll be your last show. So I did Actors Theater's last show, Arizona Jewish Theater's last show. I was part of Tempe Little Theater's last season. So... Um, you know, I closed probably for the
0: best that you don't act as much anymore. Anyway. Yeah, 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 I'm
1: just tired of closing places, and, and that was part of it. Why I got involved in helping theaters too was like I gotta be an answer. You know, I can't just continue to cash these checks from theaters and then wonder why are there no checks from theaters uh, because because uh, you know we need people to be writing those checks. So I'll be one of those people. Um, but as far as the specific population goes, I wouldn't say that it's any different. Most specific populations want um, they want to belong. And so you, you know, theater is really a great way to foster uh, a safe minds sort of place where everyone belongs, um, and you see that in other subcultures as well, like at the comic cons and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, all these nerds that belong to with each other. Um, and so we just want to make sure that um, that we're creating, you know, we're like we're all nerds, we're all theater nerds, we're all you know uh, belong in our way. But I wouldn't say that it's any different than. Um, teaching, you know, private school kids or anything else, you know what I mean?
0: Interesting. Well, going on of that, though, because I know, I mean, you've mentioned, like, all of your kind of marketing experience and stuff as well um, while we've been talking, like, a lot of, I feel like a lot of the times with those, like, specific sets, even with, like, bigger things like Comic-Con and stuff, part of that wanting to belonging is outreach um, and just trying to make other people understand, you know, how you're all the same and how you just want to belong. Um, so I mean, how do you foster outreach if you're in, like, a subset of community? Because I feel like, especially in theater, it's really easy to just perform to other theater people, especially when you're, like, doing more experimental stuff, more more weird stuff. It's, it's harder and harder to get that kind of widespread interest. So from a marketing standpoint, I mean, what do you do?
1: So there's this difference between, like diversity and inclusion and one of the differences for me about inclusion is that you're telling a story that means something to someone else other than yourself so if I'm going to go perform my one man show called Will Hightower Had a Terrible Life and I'm going to go perform it at Space 55 downtown people the only people who are going to see that are my personal network, my outreach of Will Hightower fans, so my wife and my cat and that's it and uh, so what, what I'd want to do to reach out to people is tell a story that appeals to them, not one that appeals to, to only me, uh, which is different than the finding the comedy from earlier. Um, so community theater is about like, oh, well, my niece is Annie, so I want to go see her and Annie. And that's community theater, and that's the mission of community theater, and that's fine. Um, but if you're trying to do something other than that, you need to appeal to people in a way that that television doesn't, the way that Facebook doesn't, the way that uh, these other mediums do not appeal to them. And that's for telling a story with visceral reactions and emotions and actors and human response, human connection. And that's what theater can give them. But they need a human connection about something that matters. No one's gonna, you know, pay twenty dollars to watch me struggle with a like, you know, my mental illness on stage unless they also have an interest in mental illness. They might all watch me struggle with a toaster on stage because we all encounter a toaster at some point so if I can make that worth watching for $20 then yeah, a more human like condition uh, to explore but uh, we need to, to reach out by telling the stories of people we want to come
0: So you're talking about inclusion and, and kind of telling stories that are more visceral and more um, kind of Urgent, I guess, more you you kind of immediate with everything. So, do you feel like that's something that can't be captured on film? I mean, you've you've done both. You have experience with both. Is there some, just some things that work in one that don't in the other?
1: Yeah, um, it's a different kind of storytelling. It's it's like sculpting is not any more uh, you know communicative or whatever than than painting is. It's just a different medium. So like painting film is inherently a two-dimensional art form. You're only seeing two dimensions when you watch film and sculpting is 3D, theater is 3D. So, um it's just it's different in the way that in how you're along for the journey and there's more of a suspension of disbelief in the in the way that film goes, but you could do more with it as well. Um want to talk about Spider-Man again, we talk about Spider-Man Homecoming versus Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, uh, the Broadway show. So um, some things have to be live because you have to experience them live and you have to see the real human struggle with this thing. But um, no one's going to watch... Have you ever watched recorded improv? It's like the worst thing. Like if you're watching recorded improv, even if it's good, solid improv, if you're still watching it, that was recorded you don't you're not invested because you don't you don't care you're not there it's it's uh the difference between people watching like twitch which is live broadcast of video games versus like youtube where let's plays where they're watching recorded it's just a different experience um the anything could happen exists in theater that anything can happen doesn't exist in in film as much
0: but I mean, as, as somebody who kind of works at the studio teaching commercial acting, film acting, stuff like that, do you feel like there's um, any like more value, I guess, to learning that style of acting over theater? I mean, is that just, is, are commercials and films just there for the monetary compensation more so and the theater is there for the expression?
1: Uh, I mean, commercials are definitely about the money. I mean, I definitely, uh, okay. you know, I remember there's one commercial I did where I just like got off a bus for six hours. Like, that's all I did. I would get off the bus. Okay, everyone back on the bus. Okay, get off the bus. And I did that. And I wasn't doing that for the artistic expression. All they saw, And I saw the final commercial. It was just my feet. Like, it wasn't even me, you know? So it was... That's definitely not for the artistic expression. But then when I get to do John by Annie Baker with Straight Cat Theater last season, which is a three-hour-long show where a lot of it is just in total silence. Like, there's parts where I'm just eating cereal for 15 minutes. Like, and that anything could happen in that moment you know am i going to choose fruit loops who knows um i tried to choose the low sugar cereals but because um, we ate a, i ate a lot i ate a lot on that show um uh I, now I don't even know what i'm talking about i'm just thinking about food now at this point
0: um <laughs> so i mean i, I guess yeah going to the question is like do you do you feel like film is for the money and theaters for the love I guess.
1: Uh, I mean, they're both about the storytelling. Um, You do the commercials for the money. You can do... It's just a different different technique. Um, When theater, you're almost... When I teach theater, I talk about athletic acting and I talk about um, being at peak performance and peak... People don't talk the way that they speak in a play. That's not human. But in film, you might get away with being a real person, capturing real life in a real situation, possibly. But theater is like, these aren't real... People They're up on a stage. Even though they're real people, they don't talk like this and move like this. They don't all face out towards the audience like that. Um, and so it's just different techniques. Uh, but I think that you need to know how to do you know, both to be a, a well-rounded actor. But um, it's, it's just your, your preference. It's your painting or your sculpting.
0: I like that. I like that. I go away looking at it. Uh, okay, so uh, I'd like to ask a couple things when I'm kind of wrapping things up. Um, the first thing i like to ask is: just, is there any other artists of any discipline, it doesn't have to be actors or whoever, me, any discipline, um, uh, just you just want to give a shout out to? Anybody we should be looking out for?
1: Uh, well, uh, yeah, I'd want to shout out to Deontay Lemons, who's someone who I'm helping with theater think tank for producing events and sort of experimental things of improv. Uh, he's a great member of the community. Of course, shout out to my artistic director of Stray Cat Theater, which is Ron May. We have the Roast of Ron May coming up on August 4th. You could get tickets for the Roast of Ron May uh, at StrayCatTheater.org. Um, and then finally, I would want to just shout out to my my wife, Jennifer. Um, she, you know, We met in the theater, her and I, but she's more of like a logistical stage manager person. And she's guided me so much on how to do these logistics, how to do the the day-to-day organizational stuff that my creative side doesn't want to do and so she's like a the, the artistry that comes with stage management she's that and so I would shout out to to those three people
0: I smell a sitcom one's a stage manager one's an actor <laughs> they're in love
1: yeah that's that's a lot of that's a lot of actor stage manager uh relationships especially in this town because actors go I can't keep it all together and the stage manager's
0: like I got you and then they get married <laughs> Uh, that's a good pitch Um, okay so um, beyond that I know you already kind of brought one up but any other personal plugs you want to get out there Uh,
1: yeah I would say if you go to theaterthinktank.org if you want to get a free membership to get free or $15 uh, tickets to Stray Cat Theater and other participating theaters uh, you can become a member of the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network uh, YNPN Phoenix. And, uh, you can get a membership for $25. If you are a student, $50. If you're not, I'm working on an artist membership with them, but I just joined the board. So I don't want to push too fast, too hard. Um, and you get free workshops and education and and get to go to industry events and network with other people with that. Um, you have to be like a working
0: professional and when you're joining up or is it,
1: no, there's there's no uh, like verification of being a young or nonprofit. It's just sort of, it's it's about the energy of a young person because I'm I'm easily on the older side of the room, um, but it, it yeah and I. Tech, I work for the state, which is not really a for-profit, but they're just really looking for people who have an interest in helping people who are young and in nonprofits. And to
0: put it in perspective, Will's fifty-seven, so <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean,
1: I'm, I'm twenty-nine, yeah, but that's I. It's hardly young anymore. I mean, it's still young in the grand scheme of things, but it's not young in the way that I think I teach youth who are thirteen, sure. you know, or, or college students who are twenty-one.
0: So. Awesome. Okay. Uh, last thing I'd like to ask is just if you were to encounter someone trying to do what you do, you know, the first time, they're just getting out here in the valley, what kind of advice would you want to give them?
1: Yeah. So for this, um, something that I talk a lot about in my meetings is that, especially if you're a new artist, is that you want to get two of the three of the following for anything you do. People, projects, Paycheck. People, project, paycheck. People, you want to make sure the people you're working with are good people and they're going to treat you right and you believe them and you believe in what they're doing as people. Project, that you believe in the project you want to do. You want to invest your time and energy into whatever that project is. It's a script you want to do, a role you want to play. Um, And then paycheck. Is there money there that you, you you might not make money, but are you going to lose money on the deal? And just try to get two of the three. People, project, paycheck. Because if you're doing all of these things. So for example, people in project, Stray Cat Theater is some of the best people uh, that I've ever worked with and the projects they choose are amazing projects that I'll never get to do anywhere else. They've given me opportunities to do roles that oh, I'll carry with me forever. Uh, and the paycheck's not enough to pay the rent but I'm not losing money so people and project were important enough there. If I were to only work with one of these If I'm only working for the paycheck, that's called a day job. Um, If I'm only working with the people, like you see these community theaters where they're doing the same shows over and over again, but it's good people. And so it's just like hanging out with their friends and the good people. You're going to get burnt out on that real quick. And then if you're chasing the projects, which you see a lot in film, you're chasing projects, but you're not making money and you're getting treated like garbage. Any of those things by doing just one is going to get you burnt out and turned off from the industry And it's going to crush that light inside of you that makes you an artist. So get two of the three. People, Project, Paycheck.
0: I love that. People, Project, Paycheck. That's a mantra right there. All right. Thank you so much, Will, for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been great. Great.
0: Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave Nice Ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.